startuprad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Joe from startuprad.io, your startup news and interviews podcast and YouTube blog from Germany. Today I am connected to Tom, who's right now in Chicago. Hey Tom, how are you doing? Hey, how are you, Bjorn? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Just want to see where this interview leads me. Because <laughs> I, I don't think the guests understand like how much prep you do with the people. You know, usually like uh, it's like a few minutes you jump on, but with Jorn, you got like a 30 minutes and you got a call before for an hour. Like there's a lot of prep. So I'm, I'm curious where this is going to go. Yeah, let's see. So can you tell our listeners just a little bit about you what what you've done so far and um how you ended up in the startup world and for everybody who's curious about you we will link your linkedin profile as well as your twitter account in the show notes so go to www.startuprate.io and search for the interview and you can find tom there okay um how big of a biography do you want um, best would be like five to 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'll try to keep it as short as I can. Um, okay, go ahead. so I lived in Poland when I was little. Um, and I, I think it was still communist back then. So my parents weren't sure what's going to happen with the country. And I think they timed it wrong. because my dad was going for a German citizenship and a U.S. one. And we decided to come to the U S like right before the European union opened. Right. So I was around 10, 11. And I spent time in the U.S. since, um, went through the college stuff, uh, got a lot of corporate jobs, and I just wasn't a good fit um, in the corporate world. You know, I don't like being a number. I don't like um, anyone looking over my shoulder. I don't like not being able to make any decisions. And I started messing around with my own company. Um, and I did a couple of things. I had a... Uh, record label. I was a DJ before. Um, I had a clothing store um, and a coffee shop. Yeah, I think that was the main, the brick and mortar stuff before I got into the online world. Um, the main thing, like this idea came to me that what if I could make money in the US and then go back to where I actually want to be, which is, you know, Asia or Europe or or somewhere else, right? So this was this whole plan and it's funny because I spoke with my dad about this and he's like, yeah, that's what everyone's dream was. But I was like, you know what? But I can actually pull it off. You know, I can actually do this. I can set up companies here and get all my clients from the richer countries and then just, you know, just live wherever I want. So I have complete freedom over what I'm doing. So a few of the businesses which I've done on- online uh, were publishing, um, SEO, um, creation and marketing of online courses and some site projects. I mean, a lot of them, like I, we created a movie called your own way out, uh, and a couple podcasts. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, right? Like any online person, you're going to have a lot of stuff in the resume. So it's just, you know, w- whatever you want to talk about, we can, we can go into, but you know, the resume is big. I was actually smiling a lot when you told me that, especially the moment when you said he had a record label. That's not the typical CV. <laughs> um, how did you end up there? So 
when I got out straight from college, right, um, the, the first college, I wanted to be in the music industry super bad. So I was at a house party in Chicago, super drunk. And I overheard some people saying, oh, man, you know, there's this school called Full Sail in Florida, um, and they can teach you how to become an engineer. And I don't know how this happened, but I ended up paying $40,000 to get into this school, was in Florida for a year from a, overhearing a drunken conversation, then found a teacher that worked at a studio in, in New York um, before, and I bugged him so hard until he finally got an intro for me. So when I moved to New York, um, right after school, I was able to intern at that studio. Um, I realized that those studios, I was not going to make any money in. Um, because, you know, a lot of internship, the engineering gigs were on and off. Studios were shutting down. So I found my own artist and created my own record label. Uh, we put out music. We did concerts. Um, and I just – so I, I took that phrase, you know, when when someone doesn't want to let you in through the front door, just go in through the side door. And that was my entrance into the music industry. I mean, I've worked with a lot of big stars in the regular record labels, but I just didn't see a future in it. Um, so I don't know. I just did it that way, and I started a record label. And I, yeah, we went pretty strong for about two, three years. Um, but then I thought, you know what? If I really want to make good money um, and don't want to deal with constant gigs and not getting paid for stuff and and things like that, I got to get out. And you know, but I accomplished what I wanted to in the music, so I never have any regrets. Like I've done what I wanted. Going a little bit off topic, I would be interested what you as a former owner of a studio think about music streaming and Spotify. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that is a bit off topic. Uh, <laughs> I mean, thank Spotify and music streaming. Well, I'll tell you from a perspective of a user, you know, because that's how I always thought about um, everything when I was in the music industry. And even back then, um, the softwares I had on my on my laptop were Napster and um, I think it was like eDonkey or something and the IRC. Like, this is a long time ago, so I, I can butcher these names. This was a boy back. And the reason was, like, I wanted to get samples and music from all around the world. And the only way for me to really do that quickly and and without going insane was to just get it for free. Like you couldn't just go and pay for things, you know. And obviously, you know, when people are streaming things, you know, no one's making money, which is not good for the industry. So these companies like Spotify and, you know, same with the video, Netflix and stuff, when they just can actually lock people in to a subscription and pay licensing fees, but you're still streaming and getting everything you want on in one place. You know, I mean, that, that was the natural, natural way to go. Like ever since I was maybe 18, I didn't have any cable TV or anything. Cause even back then I hooked up my laptop to my TV, you know, uh, it wasn't as simple as now. Like I had to use like converters and different cables, but I just, you know, I'm not watching commercials. I want to watch what I want to watch and listen to what I want to listen to whenever I want to do it. So as a user, it was a no-brainer for me. Like, it had to go in that direction. Interesting. Interesting. Gotta admit, I also had the problems when I was coming back from the U.S. I went to college in Texas. The few country artists I really like, like uh, Sugarland, and it was really, really tough to get their CDs at all in Germany. And so I also had to get creative there. 
getting a little bit back to topic again, you said you started online companies in the United States. What did you actually do and how have been your experiences so far and how does it tie into your traveling, working all over the world? So in the beginning, um, I started just looking up ways to make money online. And I found someone that created a lot of niche websites with AdSense on it, which is the Google advertising platform. And you pretty much created websites around small products that people would buy, right? So you would go to a a big department store and just look at different things like um, beach tables or uh, storage bins for kids, like different little items, right? And you would create these sites around them so you would rank um, really high and really fast because they were super niche. Then um, you would put AdSense on it, which is the Google advertising platform. So when people go in and click through, you make a couple bucks, right? And after you create three or 400 of these websites, you know, you can... Not anymore, but back then you could easily make a couple thousand dollars. And that was my whole play in the beginning. You know, it was more like um, I just went crazy with creating a lot of sites. Um, Then I started playing around with different traffic. Um, We created some career sites and things like that. We we stole a lot of traffic from LinkedIn. um, And some of those sites were making like seven, eight thousand dollars per month. No problem. Like it it was super easy. Um, But I knew it wasn't long term. Right. So. Um, the one skill which I developed by ranking all of these websites and with traffic were SEO. So I started going to the people around the city, uh, like my mechanic and stuff. I was like, hey, look, let me make you a website. Let me rank it in Google. Let me set up the Google places. Um, I'll bring you traffic. You pay me monthly. And everyone's happy. And I got a whole bunch of clients that way. Um, some of them kept on asking me, like, hey, if you're so good in SEO, why don't you have a website? I was like, well, I, I haven't needed one. Like I'm one of those That's people. Actually, a very good question. <laughs> You're ranking websites on search engines, and you don't have a own website. <laughs> yeah, because it was niche websites, right? But I had none of them. Like I didn't have a company website. But I'm one of these people, which you know, so the, some percentage of business people will, you know, create nice offices and business cards and all this stuff, and then go sell. Like I'm one of these guys. Like I'm going to sell first, and then when I have downtime and I feel like I need it, I'll create those business cards, right? Because what do I need those for? So we had some funny conversations, right? Like the guy's like, but you're not anywhere here. I'm like, trust me, when I'm here, you'll see me. Like I just had no need. And then I did create a company and I ranked high for, um, you know, Atlanta SEO because I was in Atlanta at that time and um, Atlanta SEO City, like all those key ranks, like I was ranking. So we were getting leads constantly. But yeah, my beginning, I didn't have a website, a business card, anything. It was all word of mouth. Like the mechanic would tell like, hey, dude, this guy's good. I'm getting more people coming in. And then they'd ask me stuff like that. I'm like, I don't know. What do I need a website for? You need a website. <laughs> I'm not having any problems getting sales. You do. That is pretty impressive. And I got to admit, I'm right now in YouTube and everybody thinks, oh, YouTuber, they make such a lot of money. But actually... If you have like thousands of views every month, you earn like a few dollars in revenues just from that. So I do believe it was a little bit back in time when you could actually make a living from that. And I do think the same applies for AdSense right now. Oh, yeah. I think AdSense is that. It's like I I spoke with a um, 
he's a German guy, so you might know him. Um, Alex Kahn. I think Alex Kahn. He's like the most popular social media person in Germany, he kept saying. Um, and yeah, he, you know, he started, I think, I don't know how many years ago, but he started on uh, Periscope when it first came out. Um, he put up a couple of videos. Periscope had no content, so they put him up as a, a featured person on, and he grew his audience that way. You know, these days, there's no way. But I'll tell you this about YouTube, how I think of YouTube. So I let all the people that um, want to create thousands of videos create their content. And then when I want to get YouTube content, um, I will simply pick my top competition, pick their best video, and just put ads on their best video leading people to my website. So I'll let them do all the heavy lifting, and I'll just very cheaply jack all that traffic. That pretty much sounds like you used Udo. Uh, taking the weight of your opponent and make it work for you. It always reminds me of the story of Jamba Juice, you know, Jamba Juice versus McDonald's. I know Jamba Juice and McDonald's. I don't know how they fit together, though, so you can tell me. Well, uh, Jamba Juice, for everybody who's not from the US, it's a company and they do like smoothies or fruit drinks and all of this healthy stuff. And basically... Um, McDonald's also want to get into the business and hands out a lot of vouchers and basically wants to squash them. And then Jumba Juice, uh, all the branches of Jumba Juice at the same day put out a sign in front of their uh, stores. We also accept McDonald's vouchers. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I like that. That was really amazing. So basically, you're using the same strategies there. And what are you actually doing right now? How do you... Because when we first been writing, you've been in Thailand. Now you're in Chicago. By the way, awesome place. Love deep dish pizza. <laughs> and uh, th then you'll be back in Thailand and all over the world again. So how, how do you actually right now make a living? Okay. Before we get into that, you know, in the US, I'm not sure if you know, there's always been a battle of who makes the better pizza. Is it Chicago or is it New York? And I know you're going to be in New York soon, right? Totally, but I, I got to admit, I love both. So there's, okay, I, I've been a usual tourist. There's something called a New York pizza tour. Yeah. And I've been to a few places in New York and they make awesome pizza. And of course, the deep dish pizza in Chicago is good as well. So <laughs> I like both, even though they they are a little bit different. But actually, n n none of those pizzas is good for your shape. No, I mean, none of them are. But it, it's just funny. Like, always, people always argue about this. It's like the main thing. You know, who makes the better pizza? And it's a big argument between the, the companies, which, you know, they are a little different. But I just wondered if you had both to see which one you like more. Yeah, and... I don't have the absolute favorite yet, but uh, Deep Dish is very high up there as well as uh, New York style pizza. So they're both pretty good. Okay. So back to my business. The things which I do now uh, for the most part, and those are the things I'm really good at. Uh, I have a publishing company, which I've been running for the last five, six years. And we have a lot of ghostwriters. It, it runs on its own. Um, we create thousands of books on different topics. And it's one of the most passive income streams I've ever seen. Uh, it's got its own manager. It's got graphic designers. And we do help some other people to write books. But it's a very quiet company because it's, like I, with my other things, some things you just don't need to promote. They, they work on their own. So that's one of the um, stable income streams I've had for a long time, right? So um, a lot of things I can try, I can do because of that 
main income stream. You know, like it's it's sad when you read someone's book, like the four hour work week or something, and they'll tell you, oh, you can just do all this stuff, but they forget to mention, oh, you know, I just sold a company for twenty million or something else, which gives them the ability to do that. So I do have that ability, and I, the way I designed the publishing company is back when SEO. Um, was going really strong and we were creating all of these niche sites, I had a lot of writers. And we would write blogs on the websites, um, which we paid for to create backlinks to all these websites, right, that, that I was running. So someone else's websites, links coming back to our own to help them rank better. Then when Google destroyed that whole system, I had about seven writers or maybe more. I don't know, it was a while back. It, it was a good team of writers, a solid one, and I did not want to fire them. So we found a Kindle just coming into play. And I said, you know what? Like, you guys just start creating books on that platform and just use your time that way. Like, I don't care what you do. Um, just, you know, do it right. Make sure that it makes sense. It's helping the reader um, create good graphics, original content. And six, seven months later, the content they created was already paying for the team. So I was like, okay, let's create a whole company around that. And you can keep running with it, you know, and it's been growing strong. We've moved uh, much more into create space now, uh, which is paper books, not just uh, digital books, but it's the same thing. So that business has been running for a while. Now, what I've really been getting into is online courses and membership sites. So I have a couple revenue streams uh, with other people, like other experts. Like one of them is AskGK.com, which is a Muay Thai champion. Um, who is creating content online. It's it's like an online course slash membership site, and I'm doing all the marketing and we're splitting revenue. Now I have clients um, who I only do the marketing for and I only create the online courses for. So we have a team that creates online courses and we have a team who can market them. And I have different clients. And I still have some SEO clients, small business clients that you know came through referrals from that business. So I have a lot of different income streams. Um, and all of those I can run from my laptop. That sounds pretty impressive to me. When was the point you realize you want to do what you're doing right now? And when was the point when you actually thought, okay, this is awesome. I'll keep just going and doing that. And let's see what what the world, what the world will be bring to me again so basically the moment when you make your decision to run your businesses completely online from your laptop it wasn't just one moment um i th there's three different times that i can always go back to if you want to hear about them um which they all played a part in this yes please go ahead so the first one was i was um sitting in a car in new york um, i was doing outside sales for about four four or five years for different companies um And in one of the companies, I was sitting in a car, and I just read the four-hour work week. And, you know, once again, you know, a lot of it was nonsense, you know, the way he did. But th there was a seed that got planted in there. And it's like, wow, I can take back my time, you know, because right now I'm just sitting like an idiot here um, waiting for the next sales call. Um, and I have no control over it, you know, not really. I mean, I got to make these sales. I got to do stuff whenever the customer does. So this was one thing. I'm just sitting in a car, and this was like one of like thousands of times when this was happening, me driving out somewhere and waiting for a sales call. Um, the second one was when I went to get hired for Poland Spring, uh, Nestle, as a sales guy. 
and I spoke with them. And one of the main reasons why I wanted to work with them is because they said, oh, we can ship you to a different country and then you can work there. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. Especially if I can make money, you know, like US money and live somewhere else. That'll be amazing. Once I got the job, I asked them about this again, you know, they kept pushing it off. And, you know, after three, four months, I realized it was all bullshit. Like they can't really move you or they won't. It was just, you know, they just said whatever they want to do to hire you. So that was one one of those things. Um, And when I worked at an insurance company, I remember I sold life insurance and then the company would take residuals, right? So I would sell it once and they kept on getting paid for things over and over and over and over and over again. And I was like, whoa, you know, if, (laughs) if you can sell something and set it up in that way yourself, like I actually calculated, I would just need to sell like 10 of these policies, and then just from the residuals, I can live without ever having to sell again. And a lot of the cold days too, you know, during blizzards when I was working, I think they kind of helped solidify all this. Like, I cannot do this for much longer. You know, like, it will be like a complete snow day. Like, the roads are undrivable in New York. You know, it takes you three, four hours to dig your car out from the snow. And you know, the second you leave, someone else is going to park in your spot. And you got to go to work. And walk around in the blizzard. Half the businesses are closed or empty, but the company is making you do stuff, right? And like when you combine all of this, it was just one of these like you know it's enough. And when I quit one of the companies, I the way I quit it, it was um kind of funny too. I basically stopped showing up, and I started looking for other ways to make money. And I made so many sales before. They kept me on payroll for like five or six months after I never showed up to work again and paid me full salary. Then they asked me because the boss was like, Tom, what's going on? But I was already starting to do the online thing. Um, and he's like, maybe you should quit, you know? And I was like, no, 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 I don't want to quit. Fire me. If you can fire me, I'll get unemployment. I can keep doing this. Like I have a runway for about a year. So he did. And by the time the runway finished, I already had enough income to um, do my own thing. So it all kind of worked out, but... Um, it was a lot of shitty situations, you know, a lot of shitty situations, which sort of when you pile them, it's like some people just snap and say, that's it. And that's what happened. Well, I had to smile in certain areas of what you've told me, especially since um, the company kept you in payroll and you didn't show <laughs> up anymore. That, that, that was that was really funny, especially I, 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 we never met in person, but I just tried to imagine the moment when you told your boss, hey, why don't you fire me? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, I'll give you another thing which you would really uh, enjoy. So um, the, the boss would call you sometimes, right, during the day. Um, it's like, you know, where are you? And, and you're supposed to be out there selling. So I was working in my, I think I was in, Brooklyn or Queens, maybe in my Queens apartment. And what I would do, I, was, I would see the call from the boss. I would quickly open the window so it became super loud from the outside. And I'm like, boss, can't talk right now. I'm about to go into a sales call. And I would just hang up and go back to work on my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to imagine this. Okay, okay. That, that is really cool. But right now you don't have a boss. You don't need to do that anymore, right? No, but it's, you know, it, it's a part of what makes the now possible right like those things had to happen you know mm-hmm. we we go through things which sometimes you know there's usually not a straight path to 
anything worthwhile. You know, you're you're going to go through a lot of shit when you you know try to make anything happen, and it happens now. Like I have different type of problems now. You know, like I have visa problems and other things when I want to you know stay somewhere longer and stuff. Like we always come with some problems, but it's you know it's worth it in the end. And you're right now a 100% digital nomad, and. I would be a little bit curious because most people know them just from Instagram and they get like thousands of euros for each posting and stuff like that. But how is your life actually like? I realize you spend a lot of time on the beach in Thailand. Where else do you spend your life? How is the average year for you? Like I go there, I go there, I like to do that. What what is your life like? Um, so the way I try to design it now, um, um, I don't really like the term digital nomad much because I don't actually like to travel. I do like the arbitrage of, of making money in one place and being able to live great in a different place. But um, so my home base, I guess right now, because I hold a lot of my stuff there is in Chiang Mai, that's in uh, Northern Thailand. And there, there are a lot of digital nomads, but Don't let them fool you, Yorn. They don't make a thousand from a post. Most of them don't even make a thousand dollars per month. You know, they're freelancers. They come to Chiang Mai. They want to make some money. And most of them are broke and leave broke. So that crowd is, you know, of course, there are people making money. But when you talk about a normal digital nomad, the ones that I see, they're clueless. They have no money and they're living from savings um, and just doing some garbage freelance work. Um, now, when I'm not in Chiang Mai, so during the smoky season, most people don't know about this, about Thailand. I didn't know it before. But between February and May, they burn the fields. So the smoke and the pollution is out of this world in the northern Thailand, especially in Chiang Mai. So that's when I do some of my traveling, right? I like to spend time in Krabi, down south by the beach. This year, I decided to uh, hit up a couple conferences in the U.S. and do some shopping because stuff is much cheaper in the U.S. than Thailand. Um, in the summertime, um, if I feel like it, I might go to a different country in Asia or go to Europe while the weather is nice. And then the fall, um, Chiang Mai is beautiful, so I stick around there. And yeah, for the most part, uh, when I leave, it's you know the smoky season or just follow the weather a little bit. Like Europe, I don't really want to go to Europe unless it's like July, August. I just don't. It's it's not nice. So um, I have the ability to thankfully go whenever I feel like it. So I can kind of follow the weather when I feel like escaping for a bit. Uh -huh. And I do get the impression you wouldn't go back to Chicago for Christmas. <laughs> no, even now I came here for, well, I came to San Diego first and Austin and a couple other places, but I've been here because my parents are uh, around Chicago and I'm telling them like, you guys got to leave. When you retire, you got to go. It's cold here. It's still cold. It's like, where is the, it seems like January's got 120 days in this city. <laughs> And um, for everybody who's not been to Chicago, there is a reason it is called the Windy City. So basically, you always have wind from the Great Lakes from Canada. And I've been there only in the fall, but actually, when you are, imagining it's in the winter it's really snow there and it's freezing and then you add the wind it can get quite chilly but actually from time to time i do like cold temperatures not like my wife but anyway that is um that is pretty interesting i hope to hear back from you and just to wrap it up a little bit i would have two questions for you number one 
if you could be the CEO of any given company in the world for just one week, which company would it be and why? Oh, wow. That's assuming I wouldn't want to be the CEO of my own company because <laughs> I like what I'm doing. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, let me think. Of any company, huh? Do I? Can I still meet the CEO of the company? <laughs> like... Yes, you can. You, you actually uh, replace him for vacation. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think uh, Tesla would be one of the companies. Um, I think Elon is one of the smartest people on the planet. And, you know, they those teams... They're doing things which almost seem impossible. Like it took the whole U.S. government, I think, 10 years to send someone to the moon. And Elon with his whole team is like sending people into space. I mean, they haven't went to the moon yet, I don't think. But, you know, they're, they're getting close. Like they've already made it cheaper to get into space than the whole U.S. could in I don't know how many decades. So I would love to see like what is uh, – just strategies with his team and how to make them do things that seems so impossible. I don't think I would want to see his personal life because it seems like a mess. But uh, work-wise, I think, yeah, he's the he's the top one I would want to sort of maybe shadow, if not even replace, just shadow him for a week. I would love to see that. And the second question would be, if you would describe your life either as a combination or a single title of either a book or a movie, what would it be and why? Oh, wow. You're, you're coming up with some pretty creative <laughs> questions here at the end. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. It's just, you're just hitting like left fielders, you know? This is not like, a, you're not throwing the ball straight to me here. You're just like, oh, look, <laughs> it's, like it's one coming from the side, catch it. Um, I totally didn't understand that, and it, then it has to be related to baseball, right? It's it's a baseball thing, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a okay, baseball I thing. see. <laughs> yeah, just imagine. I would say, Jorn, look left. <laughs> There's a ball coming right there. That's what you're doing, buddy. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, a book title. I think simplify. That would be it. That's, that's my whole goal in life is to just simplify things and make things easier for myself and for others in my uh, in my organization or in life. So just simplifying things. And I, I think um, when I left all my stuff in the U.S. when I first moved, I think it helped a lot too. You know, I realized just how little I need. Um, but then I also realized the stuff that I do need, need and are super important to me, you know. So, which might be counterintuitive, but like I figured out, I don't need to spend a lot of money on um, on clothes because I just need a couple of like really good pairs of clothing. But I will spend a lot of money on like making my bed comfortable to sleep. You know, like I would spend six, seven hundred dollars on a pillow without even blinking an eye if I know it's the most comfortable pillow on the planet. So it's it just changed some of the relations, right? You know, of the things that I would need um, to just live comfortably anywhere. But I, I think that's a good thing for anyone. You know, the more you simplify, the more options you have. I really know what you're saying because I was living in China for five months, then came back mm -hmm. to Germany for like two weeks, then moved to the US, to Texas for a year, and then came back to Germany. And basically, in the whole time, I was living out of one little bit bigger suitcase. That was it. Nothing more. Yeah. And it, it actually worked out. Admittedly, I have to have the books 
on on campus the college books and but i could resell them so that wasn't a big thing and actually when you move in in china and you when you move out in china you're not really thinking about moving a lot of furniture with you yes so we yeah, are one of these things like the furniture i could care less for most of it and you know and that's where people spend most of the money right like furnishing their house like i just want to get into a furnished house i don't even want to think about this now, yeah, you know, clothing, I want some super quality clothing. I want some, um, I don't need a lot of it though, because I always think like, well, how many do I wear? What if I want to move? Um, but yeah, like um, bedding stuff and um, just like the laptop, I need a super quality laptop, like a really good workspace. So I'll actually travel with my monitor. You know, I have a super um, big and flat monitor that goes into a suitcase. Like there are a couple things which I need, but a lot I don't. And it, it made things super easy for me in, in a lot of ways. I'm not there with the monitor yet, but I really know what you're talking about when you talk about a high quality laptop. I also have to do a lot of video editing and all of this stuff. And I have a workstation here where I can just put in my laptop, a docking station, and then I have several screens and everything works fine with this laptop. And I just love it. Really know what you, what you're saying there. Tom, it yeah. was a pleasure having you here. And at one point in the future, I would like to uh, get back to you and talk to you again, what you've learned so far and what other important stories you could share with our listeners. Anytime. I'll, I'll try to be as entertaining as I can for you, buddy. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much. <laughs> It was a pleasure having you here. Yep. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. That's all, folks. Find more news, streams, events, and interviews at www.startuprad.io. Remember, sharing is caring.